Welcome to a form of acknowledgement, homilies, teachings, and reflections with Father Jeremiah Volman, an Orthodox Christian priest, exploring the theanthropic life, the intersection between the created and the uncreated, the human and the divine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Today is a beautiful day. Day of the resurrection. We gather together to become partakers once again of the body and blood of our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every time we serve the liturgy, it, it transforms the world. It's a beautiful morning. It's also a little bit of a frightening one. There's kind of an oxymoronic phrase that I said last night, good triodian to everyone. Because last night, for the first time this year, we opened up the hymn book of repentance called the Lenten Triodion. Last night inaugurated the first of three Sundays, <clears throat> excuse me, three Sundays of preparation for Great Lent. You may have noticed as you were coming in a peculiar icon. The icon is not of a particular saint, but it's actually a depiction of a biblical parable that the Lord gave. The parable that we heard as today's gospel reading. The parable of the publican and the Pharisee. We had Zacchaeus Sunday a couple of weeks ago, and that gives us a little hint that something's coming. And now today it hits hard with the reality of the call to repentance again in the opening of that beautiful text. Today we have the Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee. Next week, Sunday of the prodigal son. The one after that is called Forgiveness Sunday or Sunday of the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise. And then begins Great Lent. Today's theme and also the theme for next week is humility and repentance. You heard in the reading, two men went to the temple to pray. One justified himself before God and the other sought to be justified by God. It's a huge contrast between the two. One sought to justify himself and he failed at achieving that which he was trying to accomplish on his own. The second one approached the temple in his unworthiness standing in the back. Not even sensing the boldness to lift his head up toward the heavens. But knowing that God looks down upon the just and the unjust alike. Maybe if he just sees the back of my head, that'll be enough. Bowing low before God, crying out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ, the one telling this parable, 
reveals to us that this man, who he crafted this story about to teach us a lesson, is the one who left justified. And that's why in the icon, you see him, it's on a kind of a chiasm. You know, you see half of the story on one side and the other half on the other side. You see the publican on the left-hand side as you're looking at it, bowing in humility. And then on the right-hand side, you see him with the uh, mandorla around his head, having been justified by God. In contemplating this gospel lesson, I think I want to make a rather simple point, but a really rich one today. But I want to begin with asking, why do we even entertain the idea of repentance? One of my favorite little phrases that I picked up from one of the hymns is, we're about to set sail on the sea of repentance. Great Lent is like the sea of repentance. And I think St. Isaac the Syrian likens life to being, being like an ocean and repentance being like the ship that we sail through this life on. But why do we entertain the idea of repentance? Why do we even entertain the idea of any kind of change in heart? Why do we entertain the idea of any kind of change in our manner or in our way of life? Why? Because we take God's forgiveness seriously. We really take God's forgiveness seriously. Think about this. Sometimes it's helpful to bring it to the human element first and then try to get some tiny understanding of the divine one. According to the gospel, how many times are we instructed to forgive? How many times? Do you remember? 70 times 7. Are you good at math? How many is that? No, you don't have to be good at math. You have to be good at literature or poetry to get that one. A lot. We're instructed by our Lord. Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Maybe up to seven whole times. How many times should I forgive? Should Seven whole times and then call it good? Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That means you lose count. You lose count. And if we're called to lose count of how many times we've forgiven the brother who is, or sister, or friend, or parent, or co-worker who offends me, who sins against me, who hurts me. If I'm called to lose count, what of God? Depends on what we believe about God. If God is fragile and self-righteous, then He doesn't have to forgive at all. But if God is merciful and forgiving, then beyond 70 times 7, 
I've heard it said, greater are the mercies of God than the sands of the sea. Also greater are the mercies of God than the sins of men all compiled throughout all of the ages. Greater are the mercies of God. And how do we avail ourselves to that mercy? It's a really simple answer. Read today's gospel reading and do that. Certainly by not pretending like we've attained his mercy. And especially or worse, that we've achieved it somehow, like the Pharisee in today's story. We avail ourselves to that mercy by seeking it, by asking for it, over and over again. If we think that we're supposed to give 70, forgive 70 times 7, how many times should we be willing to ask for forgiveness? Only seven times? How low can you go? Seven times low? Or 70 times seven? Continue asking for God's mercy and His forgiveness over and over and over again. How many times do we need to be forgiven? It's true that Christ only had to die once. That He only had to overcome death by death once. But we have to seek His forgiveness continuously. You might ask then, is it not insanity to seek the same thing over and over again? And it feels like that. We're tedious. We get tired with ourselves, actually. That's the main point I want to make, actually. We get tired with ourselves. But when you get tired of asking for forgiveness, of drawing near to God again, and wondering if His grace is really penetrating, remember these things. Is it insanity to tell your family that you love them every day, even multiple times a day? Sometimes it feels like we're trying to convince ourselves of it. <laughs> Do I really? Okay, I'm trying. Is it insanity to drink, drink several glasses of water every day? No. No. Is it outrageous to bathe when we're dirty? Of course not. And I want to liken this accessing God's forgiveness as far from insane, it's far from crazy to ask for God's forgiveness again and again and to trust that He loves you enough to forgive you again. You grow weary of asking for His grace, but He never wearies in bestowing it on you. I assure you. Did you hear that? You grow weary of asking for forgiveness, but He never grows weary of bestowing it upon you. I know this. How do I know it? Father James knows it too. I know it because, as most other priests, I, ha I have a, a charism. I have a, gr a grace from my ordination bestowed upon me, referred to as being a father confessor. And we have the incredible privilege of endlessly reiterating the grace and forgiveness of God to those who are seeking it. We never tire of making the sign of the cross over your heads. Never. And saying, 
my spiritual child who has confessed to my humble self. Humble meaning like low, lowly, weak, simple, nothing. When I say who has confessed to my humble self, that's what I'm thinking. Nothing before God. I, humble and a sinner, do not have power on earth to forgive sins, but God alone. Yet through the divinely spoken word which came to the apostles after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. We too are emboldened to say, Whatsoever you've said to my most humble self, and whatsoever you've not succeeded in saying, either through ignorance or through forgetfulness, Whatever it may be, may God forgive you in this present world and in that which is to come. God it was who forgave David, adulterer, murderer, through Nathan the prophet when he confessed his sins. And Peter, liar, betrayer, weeping bitterly for his denial. And the sinful woman, another adulterer, in tears at his feet. And the publican, that thief, that avaricious abuser that the publican was. And the prodigal son, totally rebellious. God it was who forgave them, who forgave them. May that same God forgive you all things through me a sinner, both in this present world and in that which is to come, and set you uncondemned before his dread judgment seat. And now, having no further care for the sins which you've declared, depart in peace. That's the prayer of absolution. Beloved in Christ, do you know how awesome it is to participate in such an act, such a mercy. So my exhortation today is don't delay in beseeching the Lord for his forgiveness again and again. Don't delay in beseeching the Lord's forgiveness again and again and again and again. Lay your self-consciousness aside. Let your pride suffer a little bit. Ask God to help you learn to bear a little shame. When you persist in doing such things, persist! Not just once, but again and again, like the widow before the judge, like the publican. When you persist in doing such things, the mercy of God does begin to penetrate. The old man begins to starve a little bit. The new man made alive in Christ comes to be formed. Let the new man hunger for God and seek satisfaction in him alone. How? I'm going to keep saying it. By persisting in asking the Lord for his forgiveness. By standing like the publican, truly as one laid bare before God and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. This is one of the origins of the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We're all encouraged to use this prayer often and forcefully, forcefully to fight against ourselves as those truly longing for the mercy of God. I want you to hear these words of St. Isaac the Syrian regarding the mercies of God. Maybe you can relate to them. Backsliding is not only a Protestant term. St. <laughs> Isaac used it. He says, Who on seeing these things, the mercies of God, who on seeing these things will be stirred 
by that recollection of his sins, which will raise doubt in his mind. Will God, if I ask him, forgive me these things by which I am pained, and by whose memory I am tormented, things by which, though I abhor them, I go on backsliding? Think about St. Paul, that which I do not want to do, I do. That which I want to do, I do not do. St. Isaac is talking about that. That's part of the struggle. I don't like the things I do, but I keep on backsliding, he says. Yet after they've taken place, the pain they give me is even greater than that of a scorpion's sting. I abhor them. I'm still in the middle of them, and when I repent of them with suffering, I wretchedly return to them again. How painful it is to be tormented by repeating the same sins. This is how many God-fearing people think. Did you hear that? This is how many God-fearing people think. They're troubled by the fact that they continue to struggle in sin. It's not a sign of utter failure to be troubled by the fact that you make mistakes. This is how many God-fearing people think, people who foster virtue and are pricked with the suffering of compunction, who mourn over their sin. Yet human prosperity compels them to bear with the backsliding which results from it. They live between sin and repentance all the time. God-fearing people, they live between sin and repentance all the time. Let us not doubt, O fellow people, Concerning the hope of our salvation, His mercifulness is far more extensive than we can conceive. His grace is greater than what we ask for. For the right hand of our Lord is stretched out night and day while He is on the lookout to support, comfort, and encourage everyone, especially to see if He can find any who endure even just a little suffering and grief so that their sins may be forgiven people who are grieved over the small portion of their righteousness, the smallness of their righteousness. They're grieved over their sin, and they're grieved over the smallness of their righteousness. St. Isaac calls these God-fearing people, not messed up people. Like we would want to say, I'm just messed up. Beloved ones, it's with, with such faith that we, backsliders though we be, we venture forward and feel the outstretched hand of our merciful Lord upon our heads. We can experience the warmth of His grace like a bath of tears coming from above. He who is perfect and impassable meets us in our pain and He shares it with us. We for whom forgiveness seems impossible are granted faith and the ability to forgive. We respond. We honor, not offend, but honor him by taking him up on his offer to love us. And therefore, even in tears at times, I had a second homily I was going to give tacked onto this one about tears, but not today. Therefore, even in tears at times, we find ourselves unworthy. We find ourselves perplexed, standing before the judgment seat of Christ, not judged, but loved. Loved. 
forgiven because we've put our trust in the endless perfection of His mercy toward us. He will never give up on us. The abundance of His mercy will never be exhausted. Let us never give up on Him. We heard last night, Almighty Lord, I have known the effectiveness of tears, for they snatched Hezekiah from the doors of death and saved the sinning woman from her chronic iniquities. And as for the publican, they justified him more than the Pharisee. Wherefore, I implore thee to number me among them and have mercy upon me. Take seriously this season that the church is leading us into. The season of repentance, yes. It's a season of repentance. But also do not forget to understand that it's a season of forgiveness as well. Open your hearts wounded by sin, to be slowly healed by the endless mercy of God and also strive to be merciful as well, even as He is merciful. Amen.